1 Samuel chapter 17, and I read just a few verses. Verse 55, if you have your Bibles, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 55. It's on the screen. I'm waiting for you. That's good. Excellent. There's a couple lines that if you have a highlighter and a pen, you can underline them. I'll point them out to you. And when Samuel saw, I'm sorry, and when Saul saw David go forth against the Philistine, Saul said unto Abner, the captain of the host, Abner, whose son is this youth? Abner had no idea. As thy soul liveth, O king, I cannot tell. And the king said, inquire thou whose son the stripling is, or this young boy. And as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him, brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. (laughs) And the king said to David, whose son art thou? There's a line that you should... Make note of, there's a good highlighter. Thou young man. And David answered, I am the son of thy servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. I belong to my daddy. I won't preach a little bit. I belong to my daddy. Don't mess with me now. (laughs) Now, Father, we need your great help in this house for all the people. You've given me the task of your word to expound on the infallible, infinite word of the Most High God. You have commissioned us, Lord, as a church and a people, brought us together for this moment, Lord. Now I pray, do your great work. And your word has already been spoken. So it has confirmed the very thing that will be delivered. In the name of Jesus, everybody said amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them how wonderful it is to see them before you're seated. Just say, it's so good to see you. I love you. Here we go. Maybe a little loud. The book of 1 Samuel. A little too loud. Is written in chronological order. And everybody say praise God. That's it. You put that together with what the missionary just got up and said, and you've got enough. 
Uh-oh. There are no flashbacks or moments when the narrative skips ahead into another storyline. There are no side references of historical account that deviate from the timeline. It is a book written in chronological order, one moment after the other. And I know that you wanted me to preach that today. Oh, the things we learn at church. David is the eighth son of a renowned man named Jesse. There are seven older brothers. And the oldest of them are battle-tested and have been with King Saul for all of his battles since the inception of his anointing as king. Eliab, the firstborn, and Abinadab, and then Shema, Jesse, himself has overseen the transition from judge to king. He was there as one of Israel's major pillars. He's among the elite statesmen that occupy the distinct role of a house of sacrifice. When God rejected Saul and told Samuel the prophet to anoint another king from the house of Jesse, Samuel was careful to cover up his visit to Jesse's house by declaring a sacrificial homage. He could not allow King Saul, who was already enraged with a tormenting spirit, to know or to suspect why he was going to Jesse's house. So Samuel came and announced that there would be a sacrifice made unto the Lord and it was received because of the stature of the man whose home the prophet entered, Jesse. Let me just summarize this one more time. Saul will be rejected of God. And God wanted Samuel to anoint a new king. And so God sent Samuel to the house of Jesse. But he didn't tell him which of the eight sons would be the next king of Israel. And to hide his intent, the prophet Samuel called for a sacrifice to be made. It was not unusual for such a grand and momentous thing to be performed in the houses of esteemed men of Israel. And Jesse was indeed that man. Jesse's name is also spelled Asai. I-S-A-I. He is the son of Boaz and Ruth. Can you imagine? But when the scripture calls out the lineage of Jesus Christ, it does not begin with Boaz. It begins with phrases like, and I quote, the root of Jesse or the stump of Jesse. Isaiah 11 verses 1 and 10. Even in the medieval times, scholars began with Jesse, not anyone before him. And it became customary for all the artists of that era to visually depict the genealogy of Jesus Christ with stained glass windows. And they began with Jesse. They would call it, and I quote, the Jesse window. Jerusalem was not a massive or expansive territory. Israel was still an infant nation and Jesse was one of the premier men. He watched the appointment of their first king and the transitions, and he enlisted his eldest three sons in the army first. David was the last of the eight, and David was born in Jesse's old age. Think of this now. Saul is the first king of Israel, and God has placed him in a unique position, but it doesn't take long before Saul sees himself as the king because there is a big difference. Are you ready now? There's a big difference between what you do 
and believing that what you're doing is by your own hands or that you are the one doing it. The king saw what he did and thought he was the one who did it. King Saul thought that so much that after one of the particular battles on his way home he built a monument to himself. There's a large gulf between being thankful for the opportunity and thinking you made it happen. And already into the word, it's already set. I'm already dealing with that matter of our moment. We are Christians. We are following the apostolic doctrine handed down from Jesus Christ himself. We are experiencing the Pentecostal transformation, which Jesus called and Paul called the gospel. Paul explained it as the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are born again of the water and spirit, but something is missing. We are struggling to give up our individuality. Oh, man. You should have just went on preaching, Sister Jenny. I'm not talking about personality. I'm talking about individualistic ideas. And it's not just our problem. Paul dealt with it also in his day. Paul wrote to the church at Colossia. For you are dead and your life is hid in Christ, in God. Who was he writing to? He was writing to people who were already baptized. He was writing to the church who were already have trouble hiding themselves in Christ. And why? Because our flesh, our attitudes, our spirits and dispositions are contrary to the things of the Most High God. He said to the church in Galatia, This I say then, walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Those were people who were already saved, dealing with the lust of the flesh. But the Galatians were having a hard time walking the Spirit. Saved? Yes, of course. That was the initial birth. But shedding the notion of self-sufficiency and individualism and individualistic ideas was going to take some time. So Paul reiterated in chapter 2, For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth within me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Why would Paul have to be crucified with Christ? He lives, but he lives in hiding. He's not willing to be seen. He's not wanting to be known. And constantly in the scripture we see him rejecting distinction and eminence. He's running toward obscurity. Are you with me here today? I'm glad he said, I didn't baptize any of you. You weren't baptized in my name. You were baptized into Christ. He said, I'm the least of the saints. He calls himself the chief sinner. The man who wrote 13 books in the New Testament called himself the chief sinner. He says, I'm always doing what I don't want to do. And the very thing that I don't want to do, that's the thing I end up doing. He's hiding. He's hiding himself. He's presenting, constantly presenting Jesus Christ. Here, pastor today. What you do is not nearly as important as who you are connected to. When we think that we are doing something so great, then we have cut ourselves off from the source of the power that gave us our authority in the first place to do it. Oh, man. I'm so counterculture today. 
that I know that this is going to be hard for people to hear because there are too many individuals in the church and not enough collective body in the church. Here, pastor, individualism is the enemy of unity. Hear me now. It's not about you or your personal thought. I'm asking you, what about the body? So you've already said in your mind to Brother Barber while he was given the announcement about supporting our children, you've already said, that's not for me, that's for little kids. It is for you because you're part of the body. But if you're not a part of the body, then you just come for the show. Now I need help. Let's work on the sound today. The problem is that we have this idea that it's all about us. That, and I think that it was said profoundly, but we didn't really catch it. Just be yourself. I don't want you to be yourself. Oh, man. Jesus doesn't want you to be yourself. It's not about how you feel or how I feel or what will make you happy. God forbid that we walk around trying to be happy. It's about the health of the church because what might make me happy can be the most destructive thing to my body. I'm hid in Christ. Go see how, hold on, go see how that works out for marriages when one of the spouses declare that it's time for them to be happy. The vow is greater than your happiness. The vow is the separation of self and the joining into one flesh. And in the course of your marriage, there'll be many times when you're not happy. But happiness has nothing to do with love. Am I the first person to tell you that? Happening doesn't have anything to do with love. Love is a fleeting motion. Sometimes you're happy, sometimes you're not, but I'm always in love. Oh, let's just do some marriage counseling right now. And for all of you who, who are about to get married to think you know it all, I want to tell you something. You ain't, no, you ain't got nothing in your brain yet. Not even the first year. Come back and talk to me a decade from now and tell me about it. When your fight gets on the Richter scale past five, six, seven, eight, then you come back and tell me how you weather the storm and how she makes you so mad. And how you got the, the butter bowl out. It was wonderful and it pours it in. It's a little loop on the butter bowl. And you wanted to be careful and you wanted to be careful, but he came along and stuck his big butter knife in and just dug it out. Sam, even with his fork, and just dug it out and ruined the contour of the butter bowl. Made you so mad you called the pastor's office and said, I just don't like my husband or what's wrong? Well, I know this sounds silly, Pastor, but every time I put a stick of butter out on the nice plate, he just gouges that thing. Every time I get into the car, Pastor, and pull the car out, there's no gas in the car. Oh, yeah. I can go down real far, but we don't have time for all of that mess. Plus, some of you will get embarrassed knowing that it was you that called me and told me that. Mm -hmm. You think you got to be happy all the time? I'm telling you, you're not going to be happy. The joy of the Lord is your strength, and you should find your joy in the church and not try to be happy in the world. Here, 
The individualist man loves his uniqueness. He gloats as his, his mind is a free thinker, like a foray of opposition against the conformist. He's independent of any real spiritual authority. And he's far from the cross, cross of Calvary. Because Calvary is a place where sins are buried. It's the blood of the Lamb. Calvary is the place where we see the wretchedness of our own desires. And we try to hide ourselves under the flow. For if we've been buried... With Christ in baptism, he said. Can you hear this word? Whatever you do in your life is only made possible by who you are connected to. You're not of the world. Are you of the world? Are you trying to follow the things of the world? Is the church trying to follow the things of the world? Every new fad that comes along, thank God it's December. No more no shave Novembers. You want to follow no shave November every November? My God in heaven, I'm going to add some things to it. How about no adultery in April? How about no alcohol in August? How about no fornication in February? I got a lot more. You don't have time for it. I'm not following the trends of the world. I'm not trying to act like the world. Hear what Paul wrote. Ye are of God, little children. And you've overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore they speak. They are of the world and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby we know, know we the spirit of the truth and the spirit of error. And if you don't have the spirit, you're of the world. Everything I say will not make sense because you'll leave here thinking, I want to be my own person. I'll tell you where your power is. It's not in what you do. I'm going to tell you where your power is. It's not in what you know. I don't care how much you know about the scripture or about theology or about the world or about business or about math or science or biology. I don't care. Your power is in who you are related to and who you belong to. You don't belong to the world. You belong to your father who is in heaven. You belong to your daddy. If you'll just go back and hide yourself and your daddy, everything's going to work out if you'll get back under the arms of your father. Mephibosheth was a baby when the kingdom was overthrown and Saul was killed and people were running out. His caretaker, a woman, she was running out of the palace. The overthrow of the government and of the monarch. Fire was lit all around the palace. People were storming the gates and She had the infant baby, Mephibosheth, in her hands. She fell on top of him and broke his legs. He never walked right again. Throughout the course of his life, he was a cripple. At the very least, he had to have help getting where he needed to go. But probably, he couldn't even move without assistance. But when David took the throne... And all of Saul's family had been killed. And David searched for anyone left. Mephibosheth was the only one brought to the king's table. And it wasn't because of his abilities. He was brought there because his father was Jonathan. 
Mephibosheth was enabled, helpless, had no discernible skills or abilities, but he was given land and treasure and was treated like royalty because of who his daddy was. Even Ishmael, born from a rebellion and cast out from the house, he was blessed. Because even after the ill-conceived plan of Sarah and the consequent conception of Hagar, Ishmael, though he was the first son, but he was not the first son of promise, he was blessed all the days of his life. Why? Because his daddy was Abraham. David marches out to make war with a probably closer to 10 feet scientist and also scholars would say he was well past nine feet but we'll call it nine feet whose armor alone dwarfed the weight of 10 men he had a bronze helmet on his head goliath wore a coat of scale of armor of bronze weighing 126 pounds on his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back his spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and the tip of his spear alone was was 15 pounds But this is incredible that David had already met with King Saul. He'd already rejected Saul's armor in the tent of the royal monarch. Before he went out to meet Goliath, David left the safety of Israel's camp. And on the way, he picked up five smooth stones and packed them away in his pouch. And he ran out to meet the man he called this uncircumcised Philistine that defies the armies of the living God. He's in the valley of Eli. David, with a statement of faith, takes that familiar sling, that well-worn leather, and a single stone. And in a moment, the giant is fallen, and David is standing atop the enemy, severing the head of the Goliath with his own sword. Israel shouts, and the men in their collective form, as all armies do, run together to defeat the Philistines. All to which Saul will later ask at the end of the battle, Who is that young man? Why would Saul ask such a thing? The book is written in chronological order. Why does Saul ask now, who is that young man? Saul has already met David on many occasions. He asked this question in chapter 17 after the battle was over. But David had been playing his sarp his harp for King Saul in chapter 16. David was the soothing one who soothed the tormenting spirits that came to afflict the king in his pride in times past. David was the musician. He was given entrance to the kingdom based upon what he could do for the king. And Saul has already met young David on several occasions. And Saul was familiar with him enough to give him an audience when they were all stuck in their dilemma with the Philistines. But when the battle was over, Saul asked the question to Abner, Abner, whose son is this youth? Saul didn't ask David what his training was or how good he was. He didn't ask Abner. He didn't ask the captain of the host about David's individual abilities. That's not the question. It's never the question. The question is, who do you belong to? Who is your father? Who's your daddy? 1 Samuel 17. Whose son are you, young man? The king asked. David said, I'm the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. I know what you do, but I need to know who you belong to. I see your talent, but I really want to know to whom you belong. 
Because the ability is never as important as the relationship. Head knowledge and gifts and talents are not nearly as important as the one who gave it to you. Too much of you and not enough of him is going to ruin your life. Here, Pastor, too much of your own thought and not enough of his word is going to ruin your life. Too many opinions about his church and not enough love for his sacrifice for his church will destroy the work of the Spirit even in this house. Go back, I say to you, go back, ladies and gentlemen, and crucify your flesh all over again. That's what Paul was telling the already baptized, born-again church of Galatia. He said to the saints at Corinth, I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus, I die daily. I'm so, I'm so counterculture. I'm so against our, our, our culture today, all of our society. It's not just young people and children. It's every age group. It's all the elderly people and all the young married people and all the middle-aged people. There's something, there's a problem with it. And the problem is we all think that our opinions matter most of all and we forgot God's opinion. We forgot the Lord's opinion. Even the Bible gives a self-declarative. The scripture is by no private interpretation. You can't open up the book and decide you think it means what it means. And just for everybody else's sake, don't mess with me. So you can have your own opinions if you want it, but don't mess with me. And I'll tell you why you ought not mess with me. Because if you mess with me, you got to know who I'm connected to. Oh, yeah. And opinions and ideas that are personal, individualistic, Cause great conflict and they destroy the faith of other people. Oh, man. I'm surprised how loose people can be with their words. I'm shocked how many opinions and how many things are said out of people's mouths. I'm, I'm surprised. I'm surprised that the church today, after all we know, think that, that because maybe because we've been going to church for a while, that we can just have any opinion that we want. You ought to be very careful. Jesus said you're condemned or justified by your own words. I'll tell you who's going to sit in judgment of you. It's the things you've said is going to sit in judgment of you. Let me just tell you right now. Don't mess with anybody who's a child of God. Even if they're in the church and you don't think they're living right or they're doing right, you keep your mouth off of them. Because a three-inch tongue will slay a six-foot man every day of the week. No, no, no. No, you don't understand. You ought to look around the church. Everybody in here. These are blood-bought children of the Most High God. And they may not, be, they may not have it all together. But they're related to their father. They are their father's children. And if they belong to Jesus, you ought to just leave them alone. Unless you think I'm out of the book, you ought to get back in the book. Because the Bible says, God said, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. So if I don't touch you, guess who you have to deal with? Now, I know you had some criticism of that man over there. I know you've got, some, I know you've got some, some, some issues. But if you start trying to deal with that, and they don't retaliate, you have to be talked to their daddy next week. And you don't want to talk to their daddy. My brother is on a honeymoon anniversary honeymoon for which I'm thankful because the story I can say now 
will have no rebuttal in the auditorium. <laughs> Scotty had a job. We were proud of him. He got him a girlfriend and a car. Whew, it was a great day in our house. None of that had ever happened. The oldest son. And he was going on a date, driving around, and he back-talked my mother while she was cooking. See, her pulpit was the stove. Don't you know where your pulpit is, mama? Come on, mama. You don't need this pulpit right here. You got a, you got a pulpit in your home. I don't know where it's at, but my mother's pulpit was the stove. Because anybody who could cook like that surely was telling the truth and the word of God would come out of her mouth. You can't lie and cook good food. I'm just going to tell you right now. <laughs> he started back talking to my mom. My mom finally said, Mother finally said, Scotty, if you don't listen to me, I'm going to put you in the hands of God. He pounded his chest that day. Me and Dana were watching him do this, pounding his chest like the old Italians. Put me in the hands of God. She said, all right, I'm going to do that. And I'll put you in the hands of God. Seven days later, he lo- his girlfriend broke up with him. He lost a job and he lost his car. Came back crying at the stove saying, Mama, I, I don't want to be in the hands of God. I want to be in your hands. I'm going to tell you right now, you better be very careful what you, what you wish for, what you say. Because my daddy is a powerful. There's no, there's no father powerful like our father. There's no God like our God. And if you just let God deal with people and deal with you, everything's going to be okay. Hear me. My authority and my power is not based upon my pulpit prowess. It's not based upon my reading and my study. It's not based upon my tenure or a talent or the singing. It's based upon who I belong to. I belong to my daddy. And I want to tell you, if you just get connected to the father... Hear me, I'm preaching today. you got to be hid in Christ. I know that's not our culture. We don't want to be hid. We want to be known. But I'm telling you to be hid. I'm preaching that whatever you do, we do by faith in Jesus Christ. Hear me, you did not save yourself. He saved you. You didn't die for yourself. He died for you. We got these statements. YOLO. The YOLO statement. Y-O-L-O, you only live once. As if you should do anything and sow any seed that you want to see. So, because you only live once. Hear me. I know I'm dreaming this sermon all through my sleep. I'm dreaming through this all. I'm waking up in the night and I'm praying and I'm, God's talking to me and I'm realizing one of the problems that the church has now is the same problem that Paul was dealing. We all want to be individuals and when we become individuals, we lose the power of unity because individualism is a scourge upon the church. Because you've decided what's good for you and what's not. I don't always just show up for church because it's good for me. Or because it's a program or an event that appeals to me. I'll tell you what, you got too much flesh. That's what you've got. you got so much flesh that you'd rather be entertained than serve. And your flesh makes excuses. Oh... 
Your flesh will make excuses why you don't come and why don't you don't serve and why you're not repenting and praising and asking God because you've got an excuse why you don't do that. Be very careful. Now, I'm going to be cautious how I say this, Brother Marcos, but we've talked about this about the young man, 11-year-old. So I'll be cautious how I say it. But he comes to the altar, this 10, 11-year-old little boy. Loves the Lord and cries out to God and doesn't know how to express his emotion. But he comes to the altar and he cries out to God. Now I want to know, why aren't you, not, why aren't you crying out to God? You know why? Because you're an individual. You don't think you need that. But that little boy has been severely damaged. And so the repercussions of that is that he is very cruel to little animals. And he speaks in sexual tones. Because his, his father is a child molester. And he doesn't ever want to go back home. Mm-hmm. But he's at the altar every time he comes and he's worshiping God. And I want to know what's your excuse. Now I know that you may not, listen, I'm not the evangelist today. If you wanted a feel-good sermon, you didn't, you didn't, come next week. I'll give you something that feels good. Maybe not. Probably not. <laughs> In fact, forget that. I'm, you won't feel good ever. <laughs> You're never going to feel good. I'll bring the evangelist in. He'll make you feel wonderful. He'll cast out all the demons. I'm, I'm dealing with your flesh. Because a demonic spirit is different than the flesh. The flesh is what you can control. The flesh is what it's your attitude, your disposition. I want to know. I want to know why. Why that little boy comes to church and he cries and weeps before God and his little life has been damaged beyond repair and none of you can fix it. I want to know why nine of our of our now young adults, nine of our young adults had one or both parents commit suicide, but they are worshiping God and loving God in the church. I want to know how they are involved and they're serving and they're worshiping and they're singing and they're dancing and they're praying, but you've got an excuse. I want to know. Because we love to use the scripture that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. We, we always use it that there are people that went through it and they're supporting you and they love the Lord. I want to tell you what, the great cloud is not always in your favor. I want to tell you about people in this very house who live from penny to penny, from paycheck to paycheck, but they never miss their tithing. And they're living on fixed incomes and almost no money. But if it's a dollar twenty-five or it's four dollars and fifty cents or it's nine dollars and twenty-five cents, they're still writing the check because they are convinced. But the people that are the worst offenders are the business people and the wealthy people and people who've got money. They make negotiations not as to what they should give, but what they think the church needs. That's individualism. That's not the collective body. (laughs) See, if we're going to get here, from here to the next place, to make the transition from here to the next place, we're going to have to get rid of self and flesh and doubt and criticism and opinions, and we're going to have to be hid in Jesus Christ. Hear me, the only thing you could ever do to help yourself is to bury yourself in the blood of the Lamb of God and get in the church and love God. Everybody's got an excuse. Watch Paul 
Acts 17. He's making a case in a cultural climate of man's wisdom and knowledge. He's making a case for the one true God of whom Paul calls Jesus the righteous. And Paul is so brilliant, he demonstrates his broad understanding when he quotes the Greek poet Aratus of Solai, Cilicia. And Aratus said it 270 years before Paul ever requoted it. But Paul will attribute it not to Zeus or Jupiter or the other major gods of the Greeks. Paul quoted him and said, For in him, Jesus Christ, we live and move, have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said. For we are his offspring. Please don't get up again. Please sit down. Herodotus was speaking of Zeus, of Jupiter, of the major Greek gods. And Paul laid the foundation of his case upon these very words. Those sophisticated philosophers, as he uses the old Cretan poet to make his point, Paul said, you've got the wrong name. You've got the right definition, but you've got the wrong name. It's not Zeus. It's not Jupiter. It's Jesus. I'm going to tell you how you live. You're living and breathing and moving in Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you why the world is still sustained. It's sustained because the Lord has allowed it to be sustained. I'm going to tell you why we even have a church. It's because the Lord allowed us to have a church. I'm going to tell you why you have a good family. It's because the Lord allowed you to have a family. Or you've got the mental aptitude to understand right from wrong and good from bad. Because the Lord put that in you. And here we are today. We're fighting this idea because we don't know if we really belong to God. I'm going to tell you, you have to go back to who you belong to and forget what you know. Now, I, I want you to know things. I don't, I, don't want you to, I don't want you to just have image. I want you to have substance. But you have to remember, it's by the grace and the mercy of God that I arrived. And if I can understand who I belong to, that means I've got to carve out a lot of my flesh. I'm walking after the Spirit. We've had this conversation now with our children about how to live and convictions. Tammy and I have been on this path for a long time about personal convictions, and household convictions. We've had to reiterate this a number of times. What we're doing here is not because we're the pastor of the church. We don't. We don't abstain from certain things because we're the leaders and the pastors of the church. We abstain from them because of who we are in Jesus Christ. Because if all you're doing is, is fulfilling the job description, then there's no personal conviction related to him. I'd rather be related to him than related to my job. Oh, now, come on. Until you get related to him, you're always going to struggle. But when I get related to him and I understand that he's my father, not only do I have self-worth, but it also protects me from people who don't want, who want to hurt me and don't want to help me. I'm going to just tell you right now, don't mess with me. Because if you do, I'll send my father to deal with you. 
You ought to tell the devil, don't mess with me because I'm going to tell you what, I'm related to my father. And when you, want, when you find out whose son I am. See, Saul, he already met David. He already knew who David was. He played for Saul. David, David already been in, he's been in the courtroom. He's been in the palace. He's seen the king. He already visited the king. And at Philistia, he found out there in the valley of Elah. He, he told him about all the bears and the lions he killed. He told him all the things he did. And Saul put his armor on him and, and David took it off. He went out. He killed the Philistine. And, why is the king now asking who is this man who is this son who does he belong to not what did he do not how good he is not about his music hear me all you musicians hear me now and all of you singers I want you to know something I don't care how good you play I don't care how good you sing hear me choir members hear me Sunday school teachers it really doesn't matter your talent or your ability if you are not connected to the most high God you are nothing more than a performer you are nothing more than an entertainer I would rather, have you ever played that game, I would rather? Anyone ever seen that game, I would rather? Would you rather have bad breath all of your life? Or there's something else. Would you rather have terrible breath all of your life? Or, or, or your body would just sweat profusely? The options are horrible. We have a little game, would you rather, you know. Would you just rather have one big eyeball? Or like ears right in the front. I mean, just weird stuff, you know. I would rather have people who couldn't carry a tune in a bucket that were anointed. I love our singers. I love our musicians. Hear me, musicians. You're leading in the charge. You're pulling up the, the, the hard soil. I'd rather you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and never play another note, never strum another, another guitar, never beat another drum than for you to get up here and be carnal and entertain everybody. Hear me. We're all going to be entertained. The singers are going to entertain us because whether you know it or not, you may not know it or not. We got the very best music. We got the very best singers. We got the very, they are talented people. But what I love about them is not their talent. Because I can hear all the notes. Come on, you know, every once in a while they make a mistake. Every once in a while. And when, when a wrong chord is played, sometimes Zach's eyebrow will just go up. <laughs> Come back. That's a wrong progression. Back in. You ever see that dynamic? You know, the rhythm. Lacey is getting a little bit ahead of Zach on the rhythm, and Zach's got his eyebrow up, and, and Lacey's looking over at him. And I just imagine what they're thinking when they get home. <laughs> As she says to him in the car, I am your wife, not your student. Now you just leave me alone. You get up there and do that. I don't know if this happens or not. Am I on now? Am I? Praise God, it's anointing. <laughs> Uh-huh. they're powerful they're anointed there's nobody like this group that's worshiping God hear me but if we're not anointed if we don't have a connection to the father we are nothing more than just a worldly rock band a worldly musician a worldly country band whatever it is we're just another symphony that's trying to make melody I'm going to tell you I'm done with melody I'm done with talent I'm done with ability I need my Jesus I need the father I need the church I need to be connected under the blood of Jesus Christ
And I'm going to tell you why we, I'm going to tell you why the Holy Ghost moves in here. Because when Lacey and when Brother Grant and when Brother Zach and all the group gives up to sing, they're not just singing. They're not just trying to make a melody, but they are anointed and they are connected. I was listening today while the group was singing and just one little ad-lib voice came in behind. Brother Franklin just started to, not even a word, but just began to cry out in melody. I felt an instant connection when he did that. It's anointed. It's anointed. Why is it anointed? Because we belong to the Father. We belong to the Lord. Come here. Come get in Jesus Christ. Come get inside of this blood. Come get under the cross and crucify your flesh. Stop. Here, pastor. Because i got to rebuke somebody in here. I'm not sure who it is. But the Lord told me, stop making excuses. They are lame and they're not holding up. Because other people are serving God. And they're doing it through great struggle and great conflict and great heartache and great pain. And they're doing it through moments where they don't feel like they, they're worthy enough. It was never about your worthiness. Clapping and singing and praising. Were never, it was never based upon how good you were. It was based upon how good your father is. Hey, if you're only going to praise him when you feel good about yourself, you've immediately taken away the glory of God. Because now your praise is based upon your personhood and not upon his glory. I'm not praising him because I feel worthy. I'm praising him because he is worthy. the moment I praise him because I'm good or worthy that's called individualism that's called self-reliance I wonder if you start praising and worshiping God and serving him because who you're connected to and I'm not talking about anybody else around here I'm talking about being connected to the most high God we are connected to the most high God Please stand with me right now and just lift up your voice and your hands and your heart. Come on, lift it up right now to the Lord. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Ah. Uh, uh, change our mindset right now. We've got we've to have a mindset change now. We have to have a mindset change right now. I want everyone who thinks they're not worthy I want you to step out of your pew if you think you're not worthy I want you to step out of your pew and everybody who thinks they are worthy I want you to remain right where you are and don't make one move but everybody who thinks they're not worthy I want you you're not going to all get up here but you, you have to make if you feel like you're not worthy you step out of your pew and you just lift up your hands even if you're in that aisle you just step out and say I'm not worthy Lord but that has make that makes come on come close to this altar space come close to this altar space I'm not worthy but that makes no difference that makes no difference that's right that's it that's it that's it that's it come on my anointed singers that belong to the Father that belong to the great God of, of heaven and earth 
I gotta connect with you now, Lord. Pray that prayer. Pray the song. Come on, pray. Crucify my flesh, Lord. Crucify my my flesh, Lord. Just say it, Lord, forgive me of all my sin. Clean me, Lord, of self-sufficiency. Purify my mind. I don't want to seek my own. Look not on my own things, but on the things of others. Oh, your Bible, your scripture is replete with it, Lord. 
Help me to crucify my flesh. If I live, I live in you. I'm hidden in Jesus Christ. I'm running, Lord, from preeminence. and I'm running from position. I'm running into you, Lord. Oh, God, we're dealing with so much flesh today, carnality. I'm praying, God, remove it from the church, Lord. All the boundaries and the borders of our of our world has been broken down, Lord. All the decent measures have been broken down. We don't find them anymore, Lord. They're not in our society. They're not in our schools or higher education. They're not in our jobs or our government, Lord. Let the church still have it, Lord. The border and boundary of decency, Lord, because of who we belong to, Lord, I pray. Remove flesh, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on, just say it out of your mouth who you belong to. All those evil spirits that you're dealing with, all that all that oppression and depression. Speak to that depression. Speak to that anxiety. Anxiety. You say to all of your anxiety, I belong to the Lord. I am of God. I am a child of the Most High God. I am a child. Speak to your sickness and say, I belong to the Lord. I am the son and daughter of the Most High God. Come on, we're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Oh. Oh, the Bible says humble yourselves therefore before the mighty hand of God he'll exalt you in due time come on I've got to do it I'm humbling myself before you Father In the name of Jesus, I pray this prayer. Let the church be the church, Lord, in your sight. Help us not to put on anything, take off anything, adopt any practice that's not pleasing in your sight, O Lord. Help our hearts to be firmly fixed on you. Let nothing get in the way. No small gods, no gods of stone, of wood, get in the way of our relationship with you Lord I pray for the body today that's made up of people with different personalities and gifts let the body come together as a strong unit supporting and loving one another not with judgment or criticism but with love and the grace that you gave to us individually let us have it for the whole body make us a great army oh God Make us a great body of yours, a place where you have preeminence, where the glory is exclusively given to you. Help our worship, Lord, be based upon who you are and not what we have done. Pray this prayer, Lord, for every evil spirit that would rise up against us. I speak to that spirit. My Father is after you. My Father is coming after you. He will sustain me and protect me. His name is a strong tower. I'm running into it right now and I found refuge.
I pray against every spirit of the world that would come against our marriages and our families and our children. I pray right now, Lord, Lord, fight the battle for us and we will stand still today and see the salvation of our great God. Now, I just want you to put your hand on someone's shoulder or their elbow or some, you, you could even hold a hand or something, but I want you to pray for one another. Just say, come on, this is the body of Jesus Christ. You are of God and we're praying for it right now.